Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you are listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast. I'm very excited to share this week's episode with you because we have on the show Noor Haraya, who is my favourite season 2 MasterChef contestant. So I invited Noor onto the show because I felt that her dishes really reflect a deep sense of pride and understanding of her own heritage. Noor was born and she was raised in Singapore by a Malay Bugis father and her Malay Banjari's mother. And in this episode, she shares about the sheer diversity of Malay cuisine and even gives us a crash course in Malay cooking techniques. Hi Noor, thank you for joining me on this show. I'm very excited to have you here because, you know, Wex and I have been following your journey on MasterChef. So... Maybe you can start at the start, you know, how did you get exposed to cooking and food growing up? I remember growing up, uh, observing my mom pottering about in the kitchen and accompanying her to the wet markets, picking up the freshest produce early in the morning. Um, I think I was, maybe when I was a baby, but I still remember when I'm toddler, I was walking beside her. So I was like, I'm so excited to just follow her everywhere she goes. Yeah. <laughs> like chit-chatting with the fishmonger. You know, last time when you go to the market, what I like is that everything is so fresh. Yeah. She can pick the chicken that she wanted and then they will like remove the feathers for her and slaughter mm-hmm. for her on the spot. It's a Taman Jurong Market. Oh. That's where I grew up. Yeah, Taman Jurong Market. Wow, yeah. I've never been to that one. Could be easy the age barrier because I think I'm born in 79. Quite old. Uh. <laughs> okay, 91, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think after that, right, after a few years, I don't see that anymore. I think the NEA NA don't allow. Yeah. Such uh, such practices really. So everything had to be in a proper place in factory. Yeah. Mm. So can you tell me about your mom's heritage and your own heritage growing up? Like were you exposed to foods of your people? Were were you aware that you were Banjaris and were you proud of it? Yes, I I've always been um proud of my heritage, my ethnic ethnicity, even though my dad actually just didn't want to confuse us any further. So what he did was just put our race as Malay. Mm. Yeah. But um, the thing is, both my parents were born in Malaysia. Like I said earlier on, uh, Johor Bahru. Then later on, they migrated to Singapore. My paternal side is actually Bugis. With, apparently, uh, with diluted Indian Malabari or Malayali. Uh, yeah, apparently, but I don't look Indian. But uh, my date that side, right? The siblings are all quite dark. So okay. they actually look a bit Indian. <laughs> oh wow. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, but in terms of um cuisine, you were more influenced by your mom? Yes. So after, uh, I think because that's because she's the main cook for the family. I mean, actually it was my dad who taught her how to cook. Mm. But eventually she learned how to cook from relatives, from relatives. So I think that's how she became really good at it. Mm. Do you remember the first time that you were in the kitchen with her? First time? <laughs> I think it's for, I, I remembered she liked to do everything from scratch mm. uh, because she's, uh, and I think she just enjoyed cooking so much. I think it's like her favorite pastime. <clears throat> so what happens is that I think she made her, she had to make a bit pork, she had to make kueh. Uh, I remembered. Yeah, I think it's the Epo Epo. Her Epo Epo. Mm. She makes the kuih. She likes to make kuih a lot. And you learned as, uh, at a young yeah. age, learning how to yeah. cream the Epo Epo. Ah, uh, yes. I learned how to cream at a very young age when I was, I think, we, when I was in kindergarten. 
Hmm. And kita datang lah, ready lah, creepy creepy. I'm so happy dia lah, creepy creepy. Nah, amazing. It's like a pastime to me. So other kids will be like playing right outside. I'll be like with my mom making creepy creepy happily. Um, so you were very acquainted with Malay cooking and Malay techniques, right? And then was there a turning point where you started focusing more on cuisines outside of Singapore? Um, yes, it was after, I think I, because I enjoyed watching food documentaries last time, I think Channel 12, TV12 or SBS, SBS12, before Mediacorp, right? And all this. Yeah, yeah. So I think they have this particular um, TV show from BBC. I'm not, I'm not sure if you guys have heard it. Floyd on food. Have you heard of Keith Floyd? I think you should Google him. Oh, he's, he's one of the first celebrity cook. Oh, what's his name? Yeah. Keith Floyd. Keith, Keith Floyd. Okay. He's okay. really entertaining. Yeah, and he goes around, he travels around the country, Europe or I think even in Asia, if I'm not wrong, to actually cook their food. Hmm. And then he would talk about it, the history behind it, the, the, and all that. And I find it really... It's really good. It's really, um, I get to learn from watching him. Mm. And he's entertaining. Very yeah. jovial. And he's actually termed uh, as, uh, term as gastronaut. Yeah. And I also like Yen Kenko. Oh, I, I learned, love Oh my god, I, I, I learned how to do a really damn good uh, steamed fish from him. Uh-huh. Like the way he infused the water. I was like, oh my god, it's so good. And that, so the moment after after the show ends, right, I actually asked my mom to buy for me a fish, so I want to learn how to steam fish. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah. And how old were you when when uh, you learned how to cook fish? Uh, fish, I think when I was 13. She allows me to use the stove when I was around 10 or 11. So I have to, I learned how to cook the rice and all that. Then I learned how to make simple omelette fried rice and actually because I like KFC, I like fried chicken. So mm. actually comforted my own spices. Yeah. And she will allow me to to make my own chicken fried chicken. Mm. So I would say that your childhood was very different from the other children of your age group because a lot of kids, you know, at your age they would rather be reading a book or like go outside and play rather yeah. than cooking at home. So do you feel like it's something that your mom emphasized uh, oh. as a skill that you had to learn? Uh, or was it your own personal interest? It's my I'm my own personal interest because my late dad doesn't allow me to to really go out much and play with other children. He wants to see her daughter at home. Yeah, most of the time. So yeah, that's that's what I do. What that's the th- stuff that I do. The past the time is to cook. Like for me, I didn't like to go out and play, and I would always yeah. watch food shows on TV. So I remember, you know, before the school bus came to pick me up, I was uh-huh. watching um, food shows like Jamie Oliver, yeah. or <laughs> like that. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, I felt that cooking food from my own heritage was very daunting because um, it's very aga-aga, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So yeah. how did you yeah. learn? Oh, I literally learned the hard way. Um, to be honest, I took me five to six years to uh, to to make a decent pot of rendang. <laughs> that was after we got married. I think I got married to my husband in twenty oh nine. Then then we got a house, and then I started to because it was my eldest brother who told me, uh, no, uh, or no, they call me. Uh, I think it's good that you need to learn how to make Malay food. Mm. Now that you're married, it's good that you need to learn instead of just cooking pasta and Euro- European food. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I think that's 
So I listened to him. So I actually learned how to make. I mean, I asked my mom about the recipe, but everything is like you said. Everything is agak-agak. Or oh, it's like she said, fifty cents onion. Yes. So how how do I go and ask fifty cents onion from the machi at the? Okay, can I have fifty cents onion and ten but ten cents to know what? It's like no. I think you have to give me like grams or tablespoon or something. She said no. I mean that's how she cook. Yeah, because at the wet markets, that's how they sell their food also. Yeah, yeah. I remember when my grandmother-in-law was teaching me how to make um, this dish called abaca seeds. I'm not sure if you've heard ah. of it, but it's from the Hakka community. Ah, yeah. She sent me to the market to buy ingredients and she wouldn't tell me how many grams of pork to buy. Ah. She would just say, oh, ask, ask the uncle for $2 worth. You know? ah. <laughs> yeah, $2 in which, you know, in which year, you know, there's inflation and everything, right? Yeah. Be sure that your $2 then is your $2 now. Yeah, true. Yeah, so it's very, very <laughs> So did you ever feel frustrated at learning about Malay cooking? Initially, yes. Um, so eventually, she will, after further book, uh, <laughs> I'm not, not saying that I arrest her, but I keep asking her, can you just tell me a rough number of onions that you use? Mm. So she said, oh, she said in Malay cooking, usually they cook in odd numbers. I don't know, I think it's like, yeah, it's like a Malay, it's a very old Malay practice. It's like, oh, this kampong woman, you know, last time she grew up in, it's to, in order for you to cook delicious food, right? Uh, use odd numbers, like in for onions, your garlic, whatever. Yeah, so I think. I was like, mm, are you sure? Then apparently, actually it does so. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's because it's in the mind or what, but apparently, yeah. So apparently even now for European food, so odd numbers are on. Really? Yeah, apparently. So even if you ask me to add like a clove of garlic, I'll be adding three or five. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that, that also happens in MasterChef Kitchen. Ah, yes. Oh my so God. So they see, I was taking so much time. No, you're taking a bit too much time counting. Oh yeah, yeah, I have to like. I didn't know that. I couldn't tell at all. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you were very familiar with cooking Malay food and then you started cooking European food and food from other cuisines. And then because you felt like, you know, it was your duty to learn how to cook Malay food, mm. that's mm. why you went back to learning how to cook food from your own heritage. And um, do you feel like your exposure to different cuisines influenced the way that you viewed Malay cooking? Yes. Because uh, I feel that Malay cooking is actually very vast. It's mm. not limited to just Lerundang, Olontong, or Sambal, or Nasi Lemak. I think it's more than that. It's beyond that. Like you, um, and what the average Singaporean, right, you were saying that the what they do not know about Malay cuisine is that um, Malay heritage food is influenced by a myriad of civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the Arabs, Indian, yep. Chinese, Yamish, Japanese. I think that's why you can see that certain method of cooking is somewhat similar. Smoking? The Chinese also do smoking. Malay also have smoking. Oh, really? Yeah, and in Singapore, very hard to smoke your stuff. Mm. So what I do? What I learned from Master Chef Kitchen is you can use the Chinese for method. Yes. Apparently, it was the same. It's like, wow, I was like so amazing. So, recently, I, I keep smoking stuff using the Chinese for mm. method. Using uh, rice think, and rice and tea leaves and sugar. Uh, yeah, and yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's less so cool. I was like, oh, I can, I can, I can use that. So I think recently I make that salai, the beef salai, lemak, chili padi. Because oh. that's a yeah salai. You actually smoke the beef first. It's oh, it's really good. You have to, you have to try. Oh but because I think now this you can't is, go to Malaysia. This yeah, is like a game changer. My mind yeah. was just yes. You should try. You should try smoking. Oh my god, the beef is nice. Can you talk me Did through you? the way that is? I'm very, very intrigued. So you would cook the beef first and then smoke it in a wok? As in you marinate a bit with the spices, whatever yeah. spices that you want. I mean, if you want to make the lemak, right? Because it's actually a very, it's a special dish from uh, Malaysia. Mm. Yeah, I first had, had it when I was in Pahang because my when I was young, when we were young, my parents, my dad especially, likes to take us on a road trip. Yeah. To visit our relatives there, so we will have stop pit stops, and then we will eat all the all the kampung food lah. We call it the laut kampung. Yeah. So it's that, that kind of dishes that you very hard to get in Singapore. So when I first tried the, they call it daging salai, which is uh, Malay smoked beef masak lemak chili padi. Yeah. And sometimes they put like belimbing is actually belim belimbing is a young yeah belimbing right. Ah yeah, sometimes they add that. Daging means daging means beef. And salai means? That salai means smoked. 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 Okay. They even have duck. They have smoked duck and masak lemak over there. Wow. Yes, yeah, quite uncommon. I mean, you can try lah. But because I, I can't eat duck. Apparently, I'm allergic to duck. So I can't eat duck. Mm. I should try the salai. Oh my god, it will blow your mind. Traditionally, how is it smoked? They use... um Open fires. They, yeah, open fire. Uh, they use coconut husk. The real type of Malay food, I would call it, is more... Kampung flavors, mm. like really village, like all these old women from the yeah. past, you no, know, it's being brought down. So, what is so beautiful about this cuisine to you? Um, it's the use of the herbs, cheap herbs. You don't, you don't need to go and get seasonal vegetables or especially ulam. So apparently, my husband is not into ulam. He don't grow up eating a lot of vegetables and like that. I mean, it's his personal preference, ah. Mm. So every time. When I talk about this, then they were saying I'm like a fifty-year-old, sixty-year-old star in a twenty-year-old body. Yeah. <laughs> when I my taste buds is like an old. But I think it's a good thing because I feel that not many people have the taste buds that you have, or mm. the appreciation that you have for traditional food. I mean, this is so lacking in Singapore, and it's so important because I mean, even though now I feel that heritage food is so hip, right? Mm-hmm. How many people actually understand it? How many people actually yes. champion it? You know, but suddenly it's so cool to be doing heritage, but at the same time, it's good to really know where it comes from, how it's pop, how it's made, how it's mm. how it's uh, prepared. So, is that something that you are always very intentional about when you approach creating dishes in the Master Chef kitchen? Yeah, mm. yeah. So basically, when to me, it's like I wish my husband. I think I would just going to use my gut instinct, just cook based on my instinct. I like uh, I make sure that I get to showcase mm. a part of my heritage, my style of cooking. Because I think I never once actually touched the thermomix. It's mm. not that I don't like it, but I think I'm so used to yeah doing everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But maybe maybe if. The, in the event I need to use the bulk sticks, I would use lah. But, uh, but for the show, I just use the ones like using the motor and pestle. Yeah, I completely get where you're coming from because a lot of my <laughs> friends now have air fryers, but I don't even know. I, I don't. 
<laughs> we don't have air fryers. I don't have. My aunt has like a, an air fryer and she uses it for everything from deep frying to baking cakes. And I'm like, oh my yeah. God, I can't wrap my head, my head around that. Uh, uh, yeah. Singapore noodles, I always deep fry things because a lot mm-hmm. of traditional food involves deep frying. Whether yeah. it's Chinese cuisine or like Indian cuisine or Malay mm, cuisine. Yes, I um, And my, my friend was like, <laughs> oh, Grandma, you know, who even deep fries these days? Everyone just air fries. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I still deep fry. I still like the taste of oil. I mean, I, I think yeah, I'm afraid that it's too greasy. But I keep telling them like, that it's not about it being greasy. You need to really heat it, heat the oil to a certain temperature. So when you quickly deep fry it, right, I don't think it's going to be that busy. Nah, I mean, for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know about temperature, right? Temperature. Yeah. Yeah. The right yeah. temperature. And I feel that, you know, now there is like this demonization of using of oil, <laughs> right? Cooking oil. But when you hmm. approach, say, Malay cooking, when you cook a rempah, you really need that amount of oil to really... Yes. Cook. Yeah. You need a lot of oil. No oil, no taste. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So last year, I was working on a planner with my friend Tingyi and I was writing up mm. recipes for her and she would come back to me and ask, are you sure it's this much oil? You know, was there a typo? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, no, it's really that much oil. Can you write that? <laughs> yeah. I think it's quite a bit of a shift, you know, in terms of the way that people think about their diet and the way that we approach uh-huh. cooking. So can you tell me why you chose to join MasterChef? I'm super curious. Because <laughs> the show, you seem quite like a, a little bit shy. Um, a little oh, bit. Oh, it's the, it's the pressure. Oh my God, it's the pressure. I'm actually not that shy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think because in, in a different situation, different environment, the emotions. Mm. Uh, yeah. So uh-huh. why did you choose to join MasterChef? Oh, why? Um. I was actually, I was intrigued to find out just how good a cook I actually am uh, to whip up dishes under pressure without referring to any form of uh, recipe. Hmm. I just want to know whether I can really, I mean, whether I can really cook based on um, memory palette and instinct. It's like a goal, like uh, I just need someone of their credibility, the three of them, to sit, to tell me that no, you can cook. <laughs> yeah. I think it's that. I just need that. Edition. yeah. Mm. At the same time, it was my, my family and my close friends who were just uh, trying to join. Uh, sure not. I think you can do it. Like, they keep saying you can do it. They have so much. They have full uh, support that. Uh, I think, okay, like, just give it a shot. Uh. I can never imagine myself on a cooking reality show because... Huh? You're putting yourself out there in front of them, yeah. you know, you're, you don't know whether you're going to fail or you're going to succeed and you're just putting yeah. yourself out there to be criticised and to be yes. judged by everyone, yeah. not just the three judges. The viewers, yeah. yeah, everybody, every single one, whoever is watching the show. So how do you get over that self-consciousness? I think after being through a lot of like setbacks or um, what do you call it? Challenges. Yeah, challenges in life, right? Mm. So I was like, uh, whatever. I mean, like, you know, so long as I know <laughs> I put a good a good dish. Yeah. Uh, if they like it, they like it. Mm. So I think that's that's I think that's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> that is like the assurance that comes with age, right? Yeah. 
you know, after you reach a certain age, you're like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true, true. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, no point, like, you know, if they don't like you, so it's okay if they don't like. I say, I mean, you can't always cook good food all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, I believe, even if you're a chef, right, you work in, there will be days that you would have some bad days. Of course. Right? I mean, whatever profession you're in, yeah. good days and bad days. I think it's always about how you manage it. So, how do you cope under that intense pressure? I think I would just, the, the anxiety, like a bit of the nerve, nerve it was nerve wracking. So I get a bit of a, a mild anxiety attack. Mm. I mean, not PTSD or anything. So what for me is to get over it, I have to just let it out. Mm. Outside, let it out. I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. Then I'll be smiling and happily cooking away. <laughs> you mean like you know, like once you feel nervous, then you are yeah. It it's like yeah. <laughs> It's on demand. I think like, I just press the button. It's, uh, <laughs> after I'm okay already. But actually, you know, in the footage that we've seen on MasterChef of you, yeah. you have been very, very confident during the cooking process. Ah, uh, yeah. Also, <laughs> only come later on when the judges yeah. on your food. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you have very, very good composure. You know, to, to mm. be able to steady yourself and feel confident. And when you joined MasterChef, did you have any goal or like a dream that you wanted to attain? Because I mean, like a lot of contestants say, oh, you know, once I win MasterChef, I want to set up my own cafe or like my own restaurant. So what about for you? If you win, what will you do? Uh, it's of course to put my pastry, my kind of pastries mm. uh, out, out there. Mm. Yeah. And at the same time, actually... Is to actually have uh, to write a recipe book that covers the Malay dishes that people are not aware of. Everybody knows what is asam pedas, right? Have you heard of asam rebus? Asam rebus. <laughs> have you heard of asam rebus? No! What? Uh, <laughs> so have you heard of sing- You know singgang, right? Singgang? Yeah. And pindang serani, but have you never heard of asam rebus? It's like a very a lighter version of asam pedas. Mm. Uh, but you cook it with uh, ikan selah hijau and pineapple. My mom adds pineapple inside there. There's like, it's very basic. Uh, the rumpa is actually very basic. The aromatic is bawang uh, kecil and then there's a bit of garlic and fresh chili, so chili padi. Mm. And you really boil it. You two minutes at the end, then you boil it down. They actually add asam. Yeah. Either asam gulugo or asam uh, tamarind water. Mm. And you cook it with the fish and the um, um, pineapple, fresh pineapple is nice. Oh wow! I've never ever heard of this dish, but it's not very intriguing. <laughs> it's so simple, but it's very nice. I think you should definitely do it because I've always wanted like a Malay cookbook, like a reference um, kind of thing. You know, something that surpasses just the collection of recipes. Mm-mm-mm. Because I feel that for me, it's very easy for me to learn about Chinese cuisine because I'm Chinese, right? And mm-hmm. like, yeah. I, you know, I understand the Chinese language so I can watch YouTube videos or something. Mm. But for Malay cooking, it's not that well documented. Yeah. Like, I feel that even Indian cuisine has been very, very well documented. A lot of chefs in, in America or in yeah. Western countries have written about it. But mm-hmm. there is no, like encyclopedia or no oh. reference for Malay. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what I intend to do, like a series of 
the book. First is uh, to touch on the the kind of, uh, I call it the village food uh, of the Malay people. <laughs> yeah, kampung food. So I think it's very nice. That's like, even in the salai, I hope I can actually get people to make it. Mm. The, young, the younger people even. But I feel that um, a lot of these traditional recipes, right, they, they require a lot of vegetables or ingredients that are quite hard to find in Singapore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, this is the thing. It, just, that, it does got me thinking how, how come they do have that. But sometimes, in Shenzhen, if I'm not wrong, they do bring in this kind of vegetables or oh, the ulam. Sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, but not all the time. Yeah. If you're lucky, yeah. Yeah. Or oh, I mean, even belimbing, like like what you mentioned. Yeah. It's so hard to find now. It's so hard to find. <laughs> okay. Unless know. you grow. Unless you, grow, unless you grow, grow your own. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I can imagine that a book like that would take a lot of research because, like what you said, Malay cooking is so compre- so comprehensive, right? You have like, uh-huh. like uh. The orang lauts or yes, the yeah. Boyanese, mm, so mm. Many different ethnic groups. Um, do you feel like they each have their own unique techniques, cooking techniques? Yes, definitely. Mm. That's why every time when you visit other people's house, right, for the Malay or the relatives or whoever, like your friends, so that's why the mums rendang or the lode or the whatever that they make is different than your your own. It's always this different. It's, it's different. Uh-huh. And I believe so in the eye tangan. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain to our listeners who <laughs> might not know what eye tangan meaning. That's what my mom always say. <clears throat> like I can teach you to do all this, but it also depends on your eye tangan. So it's like um, whether you have it or you don't. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> so, you mean, so the literal meaning of um of this phrase is water of the hands, right? Meaning yeah. like the sweat from the hands, which makes yes, it taste different. Yeah, yeah, it's true, no. But I, yeah, I think that's in the Malay culture. We mm. we live a lot in the Aitangan. Like sometimes in the family, uh, it skipped, <laughs> it skipped a sibling or something. There'll be like what someone who's not able to cook the way your mom cooks. Mm. I feel like even people in Western countries also believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I remember true, no? when, when I was here, I was yeah. chicken rice for staff meal at, at the mm-hmm. restaurant that I was working at. And one of the chefs was like, Pam, can you teach me how to make chicken rice? And, <laughs> and I said, you know, but I've already given you the recipe, oh. you know, and mm. I've shown you how to do it. So what do you mean, you know? Why, why can't you make it yourself? And he just said, I don't know why, but every time I do it, it's different. You know, it's different from what you, you cook. Mm. Even though yeah. he saw me do the entire process. And like someone, like uh, my boss yeah. was overhearing the conversation. He was like, you yeah. know, just that touch, you know? The touch. The yeah, touch. I, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. I feel that it's the heart that you put into the food. Mm-hmm. You know, that meticulousness and also your, yeah. your, your palate. Being able to season it Mm. the way you like it. Yeah. Yeah. That one takes experience. And I think something also, to me, it's also, I find it spiritual. Spiritual. Spiritual at the same time. Mm. Yeah, it's true like you were saying, no matter what, they are not able to replicate how you cook it. So, what do you feel is one of the biggest lessons that you have learned through all of your years of cooking and being, you know, having this relationship with food? 
so so your your mental state of mind and your heart. Hmm. Actually, I feel that that is a very Malay concept because <laughs> <laughs> really, really, because you know, I'm working on the on the Raya issue, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, gonna yeah. publish for Harry yes. and I've been interviewing a few uh kue, kue makers. <laughs> And uh, so I asked them, what makes your, your cake or what <laughs> your quick career so, so unique? And the answer uh, will always be, it's the heart yeah. and the sincerity and the love. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. I think it's similar. See, I'm like a 50-year-old, what, 60-year-old. Stop. On a mini already. I haven't touched on the Malay cooking. Oh, you want to know about that? Yes, please. The Malay terms, yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. I want to share with you. Okay. Everything. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, but I can uh, So I just share with you. So the com- most commonly used uh, Malay cooking is there's a dry and moist method. So sometimes if you ask a typical Malay, I mean not typical Malay, as in the older Malay, right? They will use this kind of terms. Hmm. Uh, dry and moist method. Uh, first, the most common one is of course to miss. To mm-hmm. me, is cooking with small or large amount of oil in shallow pan over medium high heat. And salai that I mentioned to you earlier is actually the traditionally smoked meats of fish, either mm-hmm. over charcoal, coconut house, or wood fire. Yeah. And sang- sangai is actually dry frying of spices to okay. release the flavor oh, oil. Sangai, S-A-N-G-A-I. Okay. So that is cooking. The dry frying, dry frying of the spices, like the cumin, coriander, mm-hmm. fennel, all that. And then tanak. Tanak is T-A-N-A-K, which is actually simply saying, uh, go cook your rice on a pot, in a pot. But last time they used charcoal, right? But now you can actually use the... Rice cooker. Uh, <laughs> and then the other one is actually jerang. Uh, jerang is either boiling or simmering liquids. Then chelo. Chelo is blanching of either your vegetables or your noodles to eat the soup. Chelo. Shalom. Uh, yeah, to me, Dara, right? You wanted me to explain to you why it's to me, Dara, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay, this is exciting. <laughs> to, to me, Dara, or ground saute in English, is actually a traditional um, kampung or village style of cooking. Most commonly used among the Malays in the northern part of Malaysia. So mm. I think they travel all the way down. So I think after that, you went to Johor. So that's how my mom actually cooks certain dishes using the to me, Dara method. For example, is uh, have you heard of udang masak dal to me, Darat? No. <laughs> it's like, it's a cross between like, there's a bit of Indian influence. At the same time, it's Malay. Yeah. But it's so good. And then there's dal. There's, yeah, dal. Udang masak. Udang masak lemak dal to me, Darat. <laughs> okay. So there's coconut in there also. Oh, yes, that's coconut. And the other one that using this method is her uh, infamous in gulai lemak nangka or pisang udder. Okay. Sometimes she so that also is use, the, that is the young jackfruit, right? Ah, uh, sometimes they, she also use coconut. The what is it? Coconut hearts? Is it coconut blossom? Coconut blossoms. Oh yeah, coconut yeah, blossoms. Um, yeah. Banana. Was it the banana flower? Banana hearts. Ah, uh, banana banana blossoms. Hmm. Something. Yeah. yeah. So, so the thing about this uh, to me, Sarah, is basically you actually uh, you don't to me. So what happens is you add, you simmer to make that like uh, the curry or the lemak base, right? 
use with water, coconut milk and the protein first. Boil it. Uh, and then you make, then you have to uh, fry the rumpa or the aromatic uh, paste separately. Okay. It's like you have to do it concurrently. So once you see it's really simmering already, right? You have to quickly fry your aromatics and then quickly pour it on top and then cover. Then let, let all the flavors infuse. Okay, so you mean simmer the coconut in one pan? Simmer mm, the, the coconut with the protein. Of choice oh, in, the, in a in a pot. Yeah. And then what you fry the rumpa and then once it's like uh, the protein or whatever is like half is almost cooked, right? You have to pour the aromatic the paste on top of it. You you don't have to stir. You have to quickly use the lid and close. Oh. And, and yeah. let it infuse. Okay. Uh, let it cook uh for about 10-15 minutes. Then you remove and then you can uh, mix it in. Why can't you mix it in at the start when you pour it in? It's like, uh, how to call that? It's like an adat or something. It's like the technique that you have to, you, you, you don't, you don't uh, disturb it. You just let it float there on top and let it do its magic. I don't know how to explain it to you, but that's how I see my mom doing it. My <laughs> so, mom does it. Yeah, my mom does it. Yeah. That's for her lemak, the udang masak dal to me start, right? Yeah. Okay. So how does the dal come into the picture? So the dal is with the coconut? Yeah, dal with the coconut. Mm. Dal with the coconut and the udang and the prawns, yeah. Mm. Oh wow. I've never ever heard of, heard of this technique, but it sounds like tatka in Indian cooking. Ah yeah, friendly, similar, right? Yeah. yeah Maybe similar. there's an Indian influence in the cooking. Could be, yeah. I think that's why there's a dal there. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could be. That's why there's dal there. So suddenly, how come there's dal in this one? And she said this one is the, uh, okay. Mm. <laughs> and apparently, when you make, uh, there's this soto banjar, it also uses the same method. Mm. So, but my mom doesn't make this. So, I, I just, this one initially I learned from reading those in, uh, cookery books and watching shows, right? Yeah. So, the, the thing is, they actually boil, you just ayam, they only use ayam kampung, they boil together with coconut. Uh, coconut water. Mm. Yeah, and then they will boil it. Uh, and then they will make the spice, the rumpa paste. Like if you were to use the soto base paste, right? You make it first. And then once the chicken is soft, then you add the aromatics on top. Mm -hmm. And then you just leave it. The same thing, like, you have to cover it, then remove it, and then you mix. Oh. Uh, and it's less greasy, apparently. And actually, it's very refreshing. It's, it looks light, but at the same time, it's very flavorful. Yeah, I can imagine with the coconut uh, yeah. water. Yeah, coconut water, yeah. Well, I think it really makes such a big difference because there's like that natural sweetness, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, they use every single thing of the coconut. From the coconut leaf, the coconut uh, fruit. And there's also this uh, ayam goreng kalasan that my mom likes to make. Apparently, it's of Indonesian origin. Mm. You actually have to cook the chicken first. Sometimes they use either use water or use with the coconut water, right? And then you cook together with the aromatics. You have mm. to half cook the chicken, then remove the chicken, and mm. then you fry. Oh wow! Double fry. Half cook the chicken and then with the aromatics, and then you fry together with the uh, reduced aromatic paste. Okay. That's how you get all those like bits around the chicken. Like, like the ayam goreng berempah. Like, I, 
Ah, uh, yeah, like that. But this one is double cooked. Uh. Yeah, double cooked. Oh my god. <laughs> You should try. Someone needs to document it. Yeah, it really makes a difference when you actually boil it first with the coconut water. I think I don't know. I think the flesh is no nicer actually. Yeah. Yeah, I just find it nicer. It's all these techniques that, like Uh. you know, you only find in Malay households. I remember Uh. that that I only learned how to properly cook a rampa when I was working at Kenonat, and Uh -uh. um, that was the very first time I came across the term like. Uh, you know, Pechamia, yes, yes, and, yes, and you know, they didn't use that term, like, they didn't say mm-hmm. that, but you know, they were teaching all their cooks, you know, like, this is what you're looking out for, where oh. the rumpa splits and looks like mincemeat. That's what we say, yeah, 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 look like mincemeat, yeah. like caramelized, like, wow, they're all just oozing out, exactly. And oh. I I was shocked because, you know, I had made curry before at home, but I didn't know, like, what point to to stop. Yeah. And it makes all the difference between a, a rumpa that tastes very raw and very bitter yep. almost. Mm-mm. One that is very mellow and very harmonious. Yeah. Yes. I was just thinking, why is it that they are not teaching this anywhere? Like, in home econs class or... Yeah, I don't know. They just skip that. <laughs> yeah, but it's such a big part of our cuisine, right? In Singapore? Mm. I don't think, I don't really see it as that laborious. Mm. Because it's a lot, it's like, you just not waiting, just wait, and then you can do other stuff when you're waiting for the party. Mm. I would love to ask you about this <laughs> other technique yeah? called yeah? Tahi Minyak. Oh, Tahi Minyak. From minyak. Is it Tahi Minyak? It's okay, like, is it the making kue? Yeah. Kue, making the kue or the. Coconut curd. Coconut, that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That one take hours, apparently. Have you done it before? Uh, no, I think I've seen my one of my relatives make, mm. make that kuih with the type minyak on top. Yeah. You know when you make rendang, sometimes you use the kerisik. Yeah. You know how they make kerisik from... Yeah, it's like... It's that, in a way, it's, like, it's a similar method. Lah, but for kerisik, you have to dry roast mm. the coconut, fresh mm. coconut, and then you have to pound it and take plum minyak to get that type minyak. Lah. Mm. It's a way. It's a, it's a similar method, but this one you have to do it on on a pan, on mm. a big pan. <laughs> to to claw the minyak. This is like the most technical podcast episode. Yeah, I like, I, right, but I like because I like to share all this. Yeah. I I first came across this technique when I was oh, learning yeah. how to make um misiam. Hmm. <laughs> Apparently, um, you know this book called Cooking for the President? I've, I've, not, I've heard of it, but I haven't had the chance to. It's basically it. out of print, even if you have yeah. one, you can't buy it. Because, like, yeah. they're reprinting it. But I, I, I managed to take a few, like, a glimpse at some of the pages, and it's yeah. amazing. It's like all the heritage oh. recipes in there um, that are disappearing. Yeah. And um, she talks about how... So, basically, the daughter wrote it for her mom. Uh, documenting all the mom's recipes and yeah. uh, she talks about how she would fry coconut cream until it splits right yes and then what you yes. do is coconut curds and coconut oil and you yeah. fry it until it caramelizes and it turns mm-hmm. into brown crumbs and she would use that brown crumbs and stir it into the misiam sauce yeah, that one is also a good substitute if you don't if you don't want to make uh swinging. I mean not swinging as in krisik. Okay. Apparently, there's this chef that I followed. Um, I think chef 
Chef Norman Musa, if I'm not wrong. I need to check. Because I remember watching him, you did mention that if you don't want to make the curry set, you can actually reduce using coconut, the coconut cream. Mm. And replace that. You substitute the curry set with that. Ah, I see. Okay, that's mm. a shortcut. Yeah. yeah, shortcut. Yeah, I think it's a shortcut. Lah. I think it's faster, the cream. Right. Yeah. Because, like, if you make curry set, you need have to make it in a very big patch. Otherwise, you get burned very easily. Suddenly talking to you like, as if I know, I've known you for a long while. You are my kitchen soul sister. <laughs> now, I'm so happy that my, my husband saying, I think you finally meet another person who says... <laughs> We're so nerdy. Like, I say, who, on, who bothers actually to cook and find out why is it like this? Why is it like, like, like that? So you're saying who actually my, my inspiration, right? Yeah. Uh, my food heroes, right? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, uh, it's my parents. I have a few, but let's just start growing up. It's, a, it's always been my mom and my dad. Yeah. <clears throat> Especially my mother. She does not have a recipe book. She does not. She doesn't even bother to write. So everything is by palate memory. Mm. So her recipes is all up here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, um, and because of that, I, I tell myself that I want to be just like her. Oh, I think you're on your way. You're on your way to being like her. So that's why I think I get a bit emotional. Anyway, I think, yeah, if, cause if I'm able to cook like her, mm. uh, I think it's like a personal achievement. It's like an achievement uh, to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, to, to cook with so much heart and so much soul, I think it's a true blessing, you know? And, okay, secondly, is actually uh, Mar- uh, Marie Antoine Karim. Before I learned how to bake, right, actually, I was very curious about how all this, uh, because I love to eat puff pastry. Mm. So that's how it come about. So I, apparently, he was the one who actually invented Corkumbush. Oh. He was considered the father of high art French cuisine. Yeah. He was also the one who actually came out with the five modern sauces. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And I like him because he's able to also cook savory and sweet. Mm. And his dessert is, is actually inspired by his love for art and architecture. So that's how he actually, he actually have a, he drew, you know, he planned how to actually form the tower then he'll make like those biscuits or cakes to look like uh, the castle or the yeah that kind like but using pastries yeah i think that's insane uh, for his for during that time as mm-hmm. it is using caramel to uh to like uh, fix it like to touch it yeah i like uh i'm inspired by chef adriano zambo and antonio basho and for the the local heritage food i I like Chef Norman Musa. He's also quite under the radar, but I think now he's based in Netherlands. Mm. So he teach a lot of Malay cooking over there. Then okay. secondly, I just last year I discovered Chef Lara Lee, and and okay. now it's you, Pamela Chia. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> You like your food so much, so I was looking through. It's so informative. Then you talk about, you know, all this substitute for the vegetables and all that. I like that because mm-hmm. we need that. We need more books that explains. 
And I'm waiting yeah. for the book to come out. What's up, my book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, it's oh. emotional now. After like, <laughs> oh, what about you? Yeah, but oh my god, like this is the first time like I see a guest here on my show and like just hearing you talk, really? just you know, I think you have a lot of heart and you just make me feel very moved. Keep in touch, John. Yeah, keep in touch. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Stay safe. Bye. That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. My guest on this show was Noor Hadaya, and you can watch her compete on season two of Master Chef Singapore. Also, if you have not heard, Singapore Noodles is collaborating with Hafi to produce a quarterly food publication called Seasonings. Every issue celebrates the festive foods that we know and love in Singapore, and our very first one is going to be centered on Ramadan and Hari Raya food. Pre-orders for this issue will open end of the month, and to be notified, you can sign up for the Singapore Noodles newsletter on sgpnoodles.substack.com. That is S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I'll catch you all next week.